Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day's matches at the 2022 Australian Open. Day 9 was an unequivocal victory for us here on this show. We go 2-2 two and two overall by record, but up 1.13 units on the day. We also accurately predicted all four of our singles quarterfinal match winners. Now, we benefited off of the Madison Keys plus 105 underdog money line keys playing in my opinion, as well as anyone on the WTA Tour, an unequivocal top five performer here in the month of January. She wins one of the warm-up events leading up to the Australian Open, decisive straight set victory over Sonia Kennan in round one, straight sets over Bedosa in round four, now a dominant straight set victory over number four seed Barbara Krejcikova in the quarterfinals. I think it's safe to say Madison Keys is playing as well as, if not better, than she ever has in her career. The confidence is palpable. She's serving extraordinarily well, moving, in my opinion, better than she has ever has before in her career. To me, that's the difference. Yeah, the serve has been there in the past. We've seen the blistering ground strokes, but the movement is the piece that ties it all together. That's why I felt good about picking her at plus 105 yesterday, and she delivers us the goods. We also relied on three of the favorites on the day, Ashley Barty, who cruises past Jess Pagula. She is so clearly the favorite to win this Australian Open title. The money line suggests as much. Tennis abstract suggests as much. She played the role of title contender number one last night. Dominant performance over Jess Pagula. On the men's side, it was drama all night long. Rafa scraping out a five-set victory over Denis Shapovalov looked like he might have to retire due to injury at the end of that fourth set when his stomach was bothering him, but managed to recover, managed to secure an early break in set five, rode that break out the rest of the set. You know, the 20-time Grand Slam champion has delivered time after time throughout his career. He does so again for us on day number nine. And then Matteo Berrettini, five-set victory for him over Gael Monfils, and gotta give credit to the Italian, who's made the quarterfinals or better now at the last four majors. Of course, in his last three majors, he's lost to Novak Djokovic in each of them. It's a credit and a testament to the level of Matteo Berrettini, whose floor match-in, match-out is as high as anyone's out there in the men's game. And yeah, you know you're going to get a lot of serves. You're going to get a lot of plus-one tennis. But guess what? He executes that so decisively and so effectively, it allows him to earn victories in the crunch time, make things easy on himself when pressure is at its highest. It was that serve, that forehand, that he rode to victory against Monfils. And so the Berrettini-Nadal-Barty uh, parlay ends up hitting for us as well. Now, we did lose on Matteo Berrettini. We had him minus two and a half games over Monfils. He ends up winning by two games. Devastating blow 
to our, our prospects, I suppose, our purse moving as well. Not a devastating blow, but it just crushes for another bad beat here in the second week. Of course, we also took, as I mentioned, that Krechikova keys over two and a half sets uh, as a prop as well. That was more a hedge in case Krechikova did manage, as she so frequently does, to just find solutions to stay alive, to survive. And of course, as good as Madison Keys has been, there have always been the five to ten minute stretches where things go awry for Keys in matches. Now, those stretches have been few and far between here in the month of January, and that's why we took her on the money line, ultimately capitalized. But again, our two losses on the day, Berrettini doesn't cover by half a game. Krejcikova keys, we only put a quarter of a unit on. Thus, up 1.3 units on the day. You look for us overall in the event now, 18 and 21 to date. That as a sticker number, you know, a little sticker shock there, but we're only down 0.07 units overall for the event. Essentially dead even as we head into the back half of these quarterfinals and, of course, the home stretch of the year's first Grand Slam. As always, what I want to do for you on this show today is set the scene for day 10 at the 2022 Australian Open. Talk about where I see value on the board. Talk about the directions I'm leaning as well in all of my match picks, whether it be the money lines, over-unders, game spreads, parlays, futures, props, you name it. We'll discuss it on today's show. With that in mind, let's get to it. Here are my picks, my GSP aces of the day for day 10 of the 2022 Australian Open. Of course, as always, I would remind all of you listeners, many of the numbers I'm referring to here on this podcast come from our friends at Tennis Abstracts, in particular the Tennis Abstract Draw Forecast. They also come from our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's start on the men's side today. Uh, You look at the women's side, a couple of lopsided matchups, certainly by the percentages, by the odds. You know, you've got a seed versus unseeded players in each of those women's singles quarterfinal matchups. As such, odds a little bit more lopsided. You got to get creative to find value in any of those plays. But on the men's side, we've got a couple of barn burners today. One of them by the odds, by the percentages. The other, in my opinion, much more so anecdotally than perhaps the numbers may suggest. But let's start with our matchup of the day. Yannick Sinner, number 11 seed, rising next-gen superstar, a favorite today, 52.8% according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, minus 145 according to our friends at DraftKings, over number four seed and 2021 French Open finalist Stefano Tsitsipas. Obviously, Tsitsipas, the more experienced of the two in these later stages of a Grand Slam. Not only has he made a Grand Slam final before, he's made the semifinals of the Australian Open before in his career. Meanwhile, Yannick Sinner has never reached a Grand Slam semifinal in his still very, very young career. Of course, both players have been exceptional over the last 52 weeks. You look for Yannick Sinner, 56 and 22 over Overall, that's a 72% win percentage. Obviously, towards the home stretch of last season, he was in the hunt at age 20 to qualify for the year-end championships. Isn't quite able to do so, but you look for him across the board. Statistically, he broke 27.7% of the time. That was a top 15 number amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour. His hold percentage up another percent and a half to 81.8, which is 30th, but a career high for him and indicative of the growth and his recognition that that's the area where he needs to improve moving forward in his game. 
You look for Yannick Sinner in terms of his success at the Grand Slams of late. I mean, last season loses first round in Australia, and that's why this was such a big result for him. This was the lowest hanging fruit in terms of gaining points in his ranking for his ranking this year and just securing a big bank of points at the start of the season to make up for that first round loss. And of course, he won a title leading into last year's Australian Open, then loses a five-set thriller against Shapovalov where he just kind of ran out of gas in the end. But considering that Miami Masters final is coming up at the end of March, it's very helpful for him to bank Grand Slam quarterfinal points early in the season. And then, you know, you look for him at the other Grand Slams, you know, round of 16, Roland Garros, he holds seed before getting knocked out by Rafa. I I don't think there's any shame in losing to Rafa at Roland Garros. Now, Wimbledon, he loses first round to Fucevic. He's played like four matches on grass in his career. I think you can write that one off. Of course, U.S. Open holds seed as well, knocks off Monfi in five before getting knocked out by Zverev in the round of 16, made that quarterfinal at the 2020 French Open when he knocked out Zverev before once again, I believe, getting knocked out by Rafa in that quarterfinal round. The point being... Yannick Sinner's taken about every step you would expect someone his age uh, to have taken at, to this point in his career. And you look for Yannick Sinner, youngest player since Juan Martin Del Potro to reach two Grand Slam quarterfinals. And, you know, you look at what he's accomplished to this point in his career. Federer, uh, excuse me, Djokovic, Nadal accomplished a bit more. Alcaraz right up here with him. And, you know, I, I think Murray's Virov in this tier as well. But to be honest, he's accomplished a bit more than Federer had to this age on the Pro Tour. And yes, I know that those are lofty expectations. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, reach the ceilings that they did, but it is worth noting that in terms of knocking off checkboxes in a young career, Yannick Sinner continues to do it. He continues to get better statistically, which is indicative of the growth you see with your eyes. And he's cruised in this Australian Open. Straight set wins in his first two matches over Sosa and Johnson. Drops a set against qualifier Taro Daniel in the third round, but then plays his best tournament uh, match of the tournament tournament in a straight set victory over Alex Demonauer in the fourth round and what was so uh, what was so the takeaway I suppose is what I'm look, looking for from that match was just you know how on it on the terms of Sinner it was as quick as Alex Demonauer was as many times as he forced uh, Sinner to hit that extra ball Sinner was always a prepared to hit that extra ball and b always able to on that extra ball continue the relentless pace and the relentless aggression he had uh, he had started earlier in the rally. Yannick Sinner just answers every question from a tennis point. He continues to get better as a mover, more explosive, hits the ball massive off of both wings, cross-court, short angles, down the lines, on the rise, comfortable moving forward, knows he should move forward. Yeah, the serve is not elite yet, but it clearly continues to get better. And so there's a reason. The, the, the reason I bring all of that up is that is why Yannick Sinner, both via the public and via the numbers, is the favorite entering this match against Stefano Tsitsipas. And then, of course, Tennis Abstract, which weighs your end-of-season results as well. You look for uh, Yannick Sinner, who reaches fourth round of the U.S. Open, wins a title in Sofia, wins a title in Antwerp, semifinals Vienna, round of 16 Indian Wells, you know, undefeated at ATP Cup. Of late, he is the more informed player via the numbers than Stefano Tsitsipas, 
who was definitely the better player last season, made a Grand Slam final, 59-20 and 20 overall in his last 52 weeks of competition, but, you know, hasn't played the best tennis, I suppose, uh, or certainly did not play the best tennis as he was a bit worn down, down the home stretch of the season. Now, quietly, he reached the quarterfinals, right, of Indian Wells, beats Demonauer, beats Fonini before getting knocked out by Basilashvili, but, you know, third round exit U.S. Open before getting knocked out by Alcaraz. He loses to Tiafo in Vienna and, you know, has to retire against Pop in in Paris had you know loses first round match to Rublev at the tour finals before retiring from the rest of that event he's looked good not great in his matches thus far at this Australian Open whether it be you know the straight sets over uh, Emer in round one four sets over Baez and pair the five set victory for him against Taylor Fritz in the fourth round and you know, again, all of this I bring up as well because why is Sinner the favorite? Tsitsipas has been pushed further. Physically, Tsitsipas is the more worn-down player. He obviously had elbow surgery this offseason as well. Sinner comes in in better form. Sinner comes in more well-rested. Sinner comes in as the favorite, therefore, in this matchup. And yet, you know, again, for Stefano Tsitsipas from first, yeah, is for some reason, and I am guilty of doing this as well because it's an eye test thing as well as a results thing, he's not held on the tier of Medvedev and Zverev yet as a hard court player. You look at his results last season, though, on the hard courts, pretty damn good overall. He goes 36 and 14, 72% win percentage. He makes, you know, semifinals of Australia where he beats Nadal, knocked out by Medvedev. He finals in Acapulco before getting knocked out by Zverev. Quarterfinals Miami, knocked out by Hercot. Semifinals Canada, knocked out by Opelka. Semifinals Cincinnati, knocked out by Zverev. You know, loses to Alcaraz at the U.S. Open, but that's a thrilling five-set match. He's right there with all of these guys. And again, there's not a single loss I listed there. You know, I excluded the Ugo Umber three-set loss at the Tokyo Olympics. That's probably the shaky loss of the bunch. But outside of that, like, is there anything you look for seats about and say, yeah, that's a bad loss? I don't think so. Now, again, I'm throwing out the end of last season because he was clearly injured. And I think that end-of-season, off-season surgery is indicative of that fact. But you look for him last season, 878 percent break percentage on hard courts that's a career high for him that would number good for fifth amongst top 50 players he also broke serve 23.2 percent of the time which doesn't sound outstanding but you know that's a top 30 sort of number top 25 sort of number which is a significant improvement for Stefano Tsitsipas in his career indicative of the growth he's had on the backhand return and just hitting through that ball not being as easily overwhelmed with pace on it on this surface Tsitsipas is playing good ball. And again, Fritz had the weapons to push Stefano Tsitsipas and at times outplayed him backhand to backhand. And at times, you know, you look at the five plus shot rallies in that match. Fritz actually plus six in the five plus shot rallies against Tsitsipas throughout the course of their five set match. If Fritz is out grinding Tsitsipas, that's certainly a concern as you look throughout the course of this tournament. But of course, Stefano Tsitsipas so efficient with his plus one tennis, his serve, his plus one forehand moving in behind that ball. He's, I believe, plus 17 in the match against Fritz in that category. Tsitsipas, the serve plus one, keeps things simple for him. He's able to win points easily. He knows the playbook to turn to as he did against Fritz in sets four and five of their matchup. Certainly on paper, Sinner versus Tsitsipas, the the play you are fundamentally most solid on is the Tsitsipas serve forehand combination. But outside of that, 
whether it be again the the difficult degree of difficulty of the path to get here whether it be the the storylines from a health perspective from a narrative of where their seasons are were not a narrative but just where their seasons and confidence were at perspective sinner comes in the more confident player he comes in the more healthy player he comes in the fresher of the two players and again I think the blueprint that Taylor Fritz set in his matchup, his five-set loss to uh, Tsitsipas, is a very similar blueprint for Yannick Sinner to execute, extend rallies, try to get them you know, further than five shots, try to minimize Tsitsipas' opportunities to hit that plus-one forehand ball, come in behind it. Of course, that's easier said than done on the Tsitsipas serve, but just be relentless with your attacking tennis, the, exactly the way that Taylor Fritz was, and just, you know, again, don't be afraid to move forward for Tsitsipas to be in the outer thirds of the court. I just think everything Taylor Fritz did, Yannick Sinner can do at an even higher level. And that's why I'm leaning towards Yannick Sinner as our first bet of the day. Now you look, again, overall for Yannick Sinner, minus 145 now at this point of the event. That's not the greatest odds, right? You know, minus 200 is where we usually draw the line in terms of um, an individual money line bet. And I did look at some of the spreads in this match, and they are interesting for Yannick Sinner. You'd certainly find more value betting the spread and taking Sinner minus one and a half games, which is nothing, right? Even if it's, you know, the problem here is 7-6-2-6-7-6-7-6. He doesn't cover a minus one and a half games, but he still comes pretty close to it. Minus two and a half games. If you think Sinner's going to win comfortably, you should hit that immediately. If we've learned anything about Stefano Tsitsipas, though, it's that he doesn't go away quietly. It's that Stefano Tsitsipas is the ultimate competitor, is that he finds solutions, much like he found solutions against Taylor Fritz in that fourth round match. Now, again, that was a physical match for Stefano Tsitsipas, who's really, even against Mikhail Emer straight sets round one, I don't think that was a routine match. Nothing for Tsitsipas in Australia has been routine. Things have been routine for Yannick Sinner, and I think from an eye test perspective, Sinner is playing better than Tsitsipas right now, and the eye test suggested and the numbers suggested as well. If that's the case, we're rolling with it. The pick is Stefano Tsitsipas, and, or excuse me, the pick is Yannick Sinner. Hey, great shot there. Um, I, and I've been saying this since before the tournament that I think Sinner was going to beat Tsitsipas and make the semifinals. We now get the opportunity to see that play out, put my money where my mouth is, why am I not taking Sinner minus one and a half games? Why am I not taking Sinner minus two and a half games where you could get minus 120 or plus 100 odds or even Sinner minus one and a half sets plus 135? All he has to do is win either three sets to one or three sets to love is because I respect Stefano Tsitsipas far too much as a competitor. And again, we have yet to see Yannick Sinner advance to the semifinal stage of a Grand Slam. I know he is more than capable of doing it. He's one of my locks to win a Grand Slam here in the 2020s. But I need to see it for sure first before I take him in a spread sort of situation here. And to be honest, I've just, I feel burnt, you know, after what was it, our day nine picks where Sviantek was half a game short and, you know, Alcaraz was a game and a half short and just all of these different spreads burning me. I'd rather just take the money line, pick center to win, which is the single trait and thing I'm most confident in. And minus 145 provides us good enough value to do that. Now, again, 
It's the home stretch of the tournament. It's time for us to put up one unit for these wagers. It's time for us to put our money where our mouth is. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to throw a full unit on Yannick Sinner to knock off number four seed Stefano Tsitsipas. Now, again, knock off, not upset because Sinner is the favorite according to Tennis Abstract, 52.8%, minus 145 favorite according to our friends at DraftKings. I just think from a matchup perspective, the pace Sinner's going to be able to produce uh, shot in, shot out, into that Tsitsipas backhand corner. And then if Tsitsipas starts camping out on the ad side of the court, Sinner is more than comfortable keeping him honest with an inside-in forehand or a down-the-line backhand as well. His confidence moving forward, the added energy he seems to be playing with point in, point out as well. This is the opportunity for Yannick Sinner to pick up another signature win in his young career. And certainly when you look for the Sin Man overall, again, 56-22 and 22 in his last 52 weeks, 3-7, and seven, again, top uh, 10 opponents that includes a straight set loss to Tsitsipas in Barcelona on clay. And again, the losses Medvedev, Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, uh, Medvedev, Djokovic, Nadal, Zverev, Tsitsipas. Those are his seven top 10 losses. Those are the five best players in the world. You look for him against top 20 opponents though, 10 and 8. So again, he's what, 7 and 1 against non-top 10, 10 opponents. And so this is his opportunity to sort of enter that sort of category, right? Pick up a signature win to say, no, I can beat those top five guys. That's the grouping I belong in. You look at who his top 10 wins were over last season. It was Hercots, Rude, and Rublev. So we know he can be the best of the rest, but he wants to be amongst that top five category. He wants to earn that win over Djokovic, earn that win over a Tsitsipas type here, and he's favorited to do so. Now, again, Sinner 1-2 and in his career against Tsitsipas. All three of their matches have been on clay courts. This is the first one on a hard court. I think that is more advantageous for Sinner because he can exploit the Tsitsipas backhand that much more. And again, Tsitsipas is coming off of surgery. I don't want to keep repeating myself. I think from a matchup perspective, Sinner has advantages here. Minus 145. I'm just taking him straight up to win. I don't want any of the money line stuff. We're not going to play around. Let's just take the Sin Man to reach his first Grand Slam semifinal. Minus 145 over CC Pass. One unit to win 0.68. That is our money line play on the day. Now you look at the other money lines. What are the most interesting to me? Felix at plus 500 against Daniil Medvedev is fascinating because – or minus 750 for Medvedev. Like I, I don't understand why Medvedev's that high. Why it's just – I know Medvedev beat Felix pretty comfortably at the ATP Cup and that match was three weeks ago. But that match was three weeks ago. And since that point, you know, FAA has earned the confidence of beating Roberto Bautista Gut and leading his country to the ATP Cup title, which doesn't mean much from a points perspective, but from a confidence perspective, undeniably helped Felix throughout the course of this tournament where he gets pushed in round number one, but ends up beating Rusevori. Pushed in round number two. Four sets, though. 7-6-6-7-7-6-7-6 over Davidovich Fokina. Cruises over Dan Evans. And then... Out plus ones, uh, playing out of his mind, Marin Cilic, who hit like 63 winners against 60 unforced errors in that match, is slapping away Marin Cilic. And Felix just out-executed all of those opponents. His serve, his plus one forehand, have established themselves as elite weapons. And didn't we just see Cressy serve and volley his way to a set against Medvedev? Didn't we just see 
curio serve, at, you know, big serve and big variant tennis and just work his way to a set against Medvedev. Now, Medvedev wears all of them down. And, you know, Medvedev finds plan B, plan C, plan D, along with the plan A of just popping 135 mile per hour serves and in- implementing drop shots and doing all of these different sorts of things. You know, I do think Medvedev has the solutions and ultimately the physicality to wear Felix down throughout the course of five sets, and he also does have the easy weapon of the plus one serve to win himself some free points along the way. But I think the idea that Medvedev's just going to coast to this match at minus 750, that's absurd. And so, you know, Felix plus 500, I like that. You know, I mean, I don't love it. I'm not going to pick it, but I, I don't hate that as a play. And then if he wins the first set, you live bet Medvedev the rest of the way or, you know, over 34 and a half games, which, you know, 6-4, guaranteed you're getting over four, 34 and a half games. If this match goes four sets, you're getting over 34 and a half games. That's minus 124. You just want the straight up over three and a half sets in Medvedev's FAA. That's minus 120. That's what we're going to do. In this matchup, we're throwing uh, some money. We're throwing, I think, a, uh, you know what? We'll go quarter of a unit because sometimes the over-unders burn us. And Felix has played a lot of tennis over the past couple of weeks. But I like the Felix-Medvedev match to go over three and a half sets. That's a quarter unit, in my opinion, well spent. So let's make a pick here and let's on this Felix-Medvedev match. I think Medvedev does win. But I think it's in no fewer than four sets. I think, you know, for Felix, who's, you know, made semifinals of the U.S. Open or of Wimbledon. No, U.S. Open and makes quarterfinals, I believe, of uh, Wimbledon as well. And just, you know, fourth round here last year before he blows a two sets to uh, love lead on Aslan Karatsev. I think Felix has that in the back of his mind. But again, it's a different Felix since that time. You look for Felix. Yeah, semifinals, U.S. Open, quarterfinals, Wimbledon. He just... He's more calloused in these stages of the event. And, you know, Medvedev cleaned his clock in the U.S. Open semifinals and cleaned his clock again at the ATP Cup because Medvedev does have the serve to make things uncomfortable for Felix as well as the physicality to just absorb the plus one ball and, you know, respond with depth and incorporate angles and just make Felix uncomfortable. I do agree from a matchup perspective. I think Medvedev wins this match. But I think Felix is competing too well. I think it's disrespectful that these odds are so low for him to just win a simple set. Give me Felix to take a set over Medvedev. Over three and a half sets in this matchup. Minus 120. We'll throw a quarter of a unit on it to win 0.2. But again, just a quarter of a unit because we do respect 2021 U.S. Open champion Daniil Medvedev. I mean, that's your layout of the men's matches. And again, via our friends at Tennis Abstract, Medvedev 86.1% favored over Felix Sinner. 52.8% favored, essentially a pick against Stefano Tsitsipas. Medvedev minus 750 money line. Sinner minus 140. 45. That would be my outlook on the men's side. Now you look on the women's side, neither money line particularly appealing on their own. Danielle Collins right now minus 260 over Alize Cornet. Collins, a former Australian Open semifinalist competing in her third major quarterfinal of her career. Alize Cornet, first major quarterfinal of her career survives a three-set marathon match against Simona Halep. And by the way, don't sell Danielle Collins short. She played her own marathon match against Elisa Mertens in the fourth round of this tournament. But you look for Alize Cornet, 
you know, who, yes, ends up beating Halep in three sets and has gotten a win over Garbine Muguruza in this tournament and, you know, has earned wins. It's so, so many impressive wins throughout the course of this event, whether it's three sets over tomorrow, Zidanezic, and, you know, again, it's just back to back to back. She's put forward these incredible performances, and so to doubt her ability to do so at this point of the event would be foolish, right? Well, I do think on the flip side, you look for Alizé Cornet again. Three sets against Zidanezic. That was an extraordinarily physical match. Yesterday against Halep, you know, Daniel Collins and Mertens played three sets. You look for uh, Daniel Collins, I believe, over the course of that match. Yeah, two hours, 51 minutes. You look for Alizé Cornet in her matchup against uh, Simona Halep, two hours, 33 minutes. So that's interesting, right? Like, from a time perspective, Collins was on court uh, longer, but... Which match felt more physical? Honestly, if you watch them, they both felt pretty physical. But again, the difference being for Danielle Collins prior to that, you know, yeah, she played three sets against Clara Tawson. So, man, I'm talking myself out of this. But Konya, an hour 19 minutes. Dalhide, an hour six minutes. She cruised in those. And, you know, again, I just think for Danielle Collins, it just didn't – I mean, the come-ons were loud at the end of that match against Mertens. You could tell she had to make that match more than just a physical battle. She had to make it a battle of wills as well and bring that sort of energy onto the court. I just think, though, again, if you have two tired players and both of these players are tired is the broader point I'm trying to make here because physically spent and taxed to get to this point of the tournament – don't you turn to the player with the bigger weapons at that point who can make life a little bit easier on themselves? And the single biggest weapon in this matchup is the Danielle Collins return of serve. She is going to have some opportunities against Alize Cornet on the return of serve in this match. And, you know, Collins didn't serve great against Mertens. She served fine and... Yeah, Cornet will make her pay as well. I think this is going to be a break fest. I think there's some really fun props in this. Over six and a half breaks of serve and Collins Cornet minus 150. I really like that one. But I just ultimately think in terms of, again, it once both of these players really do begin to feel and we see that, the wear and tear of the matches they've played all tournament long, I think it'll just be helpful to have the bigger weapons. And I think Danielle Collins has the bigger weapons. And again, with the margins between these players being as thin as they are, that's the matchup difference in this one for me. And that matchup advantage leans towards Collins. So again, from a money line perspective, we're not going to do minus 260 on our own. You know, I do think Collins minus one and a half sets over Cornet at minus 120 is is pretty interesting. But I settled on Collins minus three and a half games over Alize Cornet. Just a routine 6-4-6-4 or 7-5-6-3 or, you know, 7-6-6-2. You know, that sort of victory where it's just, you know, again, Cornet keeps it close and Cornet breaks back on many opportunities when Collins does get that break of serve, but just give me Collins, who has a slight easier ability to end points earlier on and play on her terms. I like Collins, minus three and a half games. Now we're getting minus 135 odds on that. That feels pretty generous. We're going to throw another full unit on that to win 0.74. You look at the, again, tennis abstract odds in this match. Collins, a pretty comfortable favorite, 76.8%. But of course, that again assumes both players are fresh entering the match when they are not. This one's going to get funky. I like Collins, minus three and a half games. More importantly, I just think Collins ends up winning this match in straight sets. 
Then he gets Shiantek Kanepi, and Shiantek was finally pushed to three in her last match against Serana Kirstea, and Serana Kirstea played such exceptional tennis, taking everything early on the rise, just pressuring Shiantek in, you know, in point after point after point, taking her chances. Obviously, Kaya Kanepi did, Kaya Kanepi did something very similar in her third set, 7-6, in the third victory over number two seed Arena Sabalenka. This match is going to get funky, folks. This is going to be, you know, again, I do want to see how the heavy topspin of Iga Swiatek, how, you know, the eastern grip forehand and early on the rise tennis of Kai Kanepi responds to the heaviness of that Iga Swiatek ball. I'm not so certain it's going to respond well. I do think Swiatek has just some pretty clear-cut tactical advantages throughout the course of this match. And just, again, from a game-style perspective, I think it's a pretty tough matchup for Kaya Kanepi, who has played physical tennis now in her past couple of matches. You look for Kanepi in this event. Obviously, straight sets over Kerber in round one. That was, uh, you know, a pretty solid victory. But you look at her last couple of matches, three sets against Madison Inglis, three sets against Arena Sabalenka as well. She's made fewer than 50% of her serves, first serves in four out of her last five matches yeah, Kanepi plays high variance, go big tennis on that serve. And, you know, again, she's going to keep, uh, there'll be times where she keeps Shviantek honest and, you know, goes big down the line and disrupts the Shviantek rhythm. But I just think, you know, again, I think Iga's coming out of the bottom half. And I think Iga is going to ultimately advance in this match. Now, it does scare me because when Kanepi gets hot, you know, she can definitely break Shviantek's rhythm. And we saw that happen for Kirstea as well in that prior match. So, you know, I don't like the minus four and a half games. That's just a lot of games that at minus 135, not the best value. But of course, it would not be an ace of the day without a parlay bet, right? And so I've got my parlay for all of you listeners. We're going to turn to yesterday's recipe. We're going to do a three favorite parlay. Give me Daniil Medvedev, who at the time I did this parlay was minus 800. He's now down to minus 750. Give me over FAA. Give me Sviantek minus 400 over Kaya Kanepi. And again, I do feel pretty confident that Iga is, you know, again, the 2020 French Open champion into her first non-French Open quarterfinal. You could see what it meant to her, that fourth round win. I think she's still pretty fresh as we turn towards this portion of the tournament. And then give me Danielle Collins and give me her weapons in the end to overwhelm uh, Alizé Cornet and ultimately propel her to another Australian Open semifinal. You parlay all of those together. Now minus 104 with the Medvedev odds move to minus 750. Let's throw another full unit on that. For uh, one unit to win 0.96. Again, another three favorite parlay. And I know I have all four favorites to win on the day. And you feel like that's kind of foolish, right? But I essentially think that Keys-Krechikova match was a pick And I think all of these players are essentially playing well coming to this stage of the tournament. So you would, you know, again, there's a reason the rankings are where they are. The, the higher-seeded player's best is better than the lower-seeded player's best. And I do think a lot of these players are playing their best. Those that, Therefore, those are some of my default thoughts entering this. I know that's very basic. You listen to 30 minutes for that summary. Um, but... I like Medvedev, just ultimately, again, the physicality and the options he has, the pressure he's able to also sustain on FA throughout a course of a match, but that one gets tricky to me. That's why we're hedging with the FAA Medvedev over three and a half sets. I think Iga wins. I think Collins wins. Therefore, those are your day 10 picks for the 2022 Australian Open. To recap, give me the Sin Man, young Italian, going to make his move here, minus 145 over Stefano Tsitsipas. 
one unit on that to win 0.68. Give me Danielle Collins, minus three and a half games over Alize Cornet, minus 135, one unit to win 0.74. We're going to throw an over on the three and a half sets in FA Medvedev, minus 120, just too good of odds to pass up quarter unit on that to win 0.2. And then we're taking the favorites parlay. Medvedev, Sviantek, Collins, minus 104, one unit to win 0.96. Those are your day 10 picks for our GSP aces of the day. Now, some other futures I have in mind, you know, Barty minus 200 to win the title. You can hedge against her in the final if you get those odds now. Sviantek plus 330 to win it. Sviantek minus 120 to reach the final. A Barty Sviantek final plus 120 might be my favorite bet on the board. Medvedev minus 125 to win. Again, you can hedge against him in the final. Nadal plus 225 to win. Sinner, plus 1,200 to win the title. A Medvedev-Nadal final, plus 110. A Medvedev-Berrettini final, plus 240. Those are all interesting. And again, all these options available via our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook for those curious. It, I think things have gotten pretty clear. Again, you look at the tennis abstract odds for all of these events right now. Medvedev, a 56.2% favorite. Nadal, 14.5. Sinner, 9.7. Berrettini, 9.6. You look on the women's side. Ashley Barty now, a comprehensive favorite. Overall, she's a 52.9% favorite. Collins, uh, excuse me, Sviantek, 16.8. Collins, 16.7. Madison Keys, 10.9. Yeah. It's the home stretch, folks. We've got back half of the quarterfinals, and tomorrow we go only women's semifinals. The next day, only men's semifinals. Let me do some quick math here in my head. Four plus four is eight, plus two is ten. Ten singles matches to go, folks, at the year's first Grand Slam event. Let's enjoy them all. Let's try to make some money off them all here on this segment as well. And of course, we will continue to provide these picks each and every day throughout the tournament. We're going to end in the positives, folks. We're making a strong push here down the home stretch. Of course, if you are looking for recap content, the mini break is the place to turn. Recaps daily of each and every day of the year's first Grand Slam event. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Of course, if you guys have any thoughts, feel free to reach out to us on social media at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. With all that said, all the content available at the website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure that you don't miss out on anything before my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Gruskin, as always. We hope you enjoy Day 10's matches, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.